Have you ever looked at a recipe and wondered, how will these ingredients make that? Let me give you an example. So the ingredients list is 400 grams of chickpeas. So we've got that here. Um, three tablespoons of corn flour. And then we've got um, a cup of caster sugar. So I wonder what on earth this is going to make. I wonder if you can guess. Um, the first instruction is to drain the chickpeas, reserving the chickpea water. So I've got all my equipment here today. I'm going to just uh, bear with me a minute. So I'm going to drain the chickpeas to get all this lovely chickpea water out. I don't know if you've ever drained chickpeas. The chickpea water is quite smelly and goopy. Um, but here we go. Wonder if you know what I'm making. <laughs> chickpeas. So there you go. It's the lovely chickpea water. Um, what's to say next? Chill the chickpea water in the fridge for at least two hours until cold. We'll just skip that. I'm actually not going to do any more of the steps, but I am going to read it to you. Um, pour the chickpea water into a large mixing bowl and using electric beaters, beat on high speed for five to six minutes or until soft peaks form just like meringue. Add the caster sugar, about two tablespoons at a time, beating constantly for about eight to 10 minutes or until sugar has completely dissolved and you have thick, glossy meringue. Briefly fold through the remaining one tablespoon of corn flour. Dollop large spoonfuls of meringue onto trays, six on each, piling them high and keeping them at least five to six centimetres apart. Bake in the oven for 15 minutes, then reduce temperature to 130 and bake for one hour, 10 minutes, or until the outside of the meringues is dry, firm and crisp. Turn off the oven and leave for at least a few hours or overnight until the meringues have completely cooled. Try not to open the oven at any time during cooking. This is actually Nadia Lim's magic vegan pavlovas recipe. And this is what they look like when Nadia Lim makes them. Uh, they look exactly the same as that when I make them too, I promise. I just don't have a photo of mine. But it seems like a strange combination of ingredients, doesn't it? Chickpea water, sugar, and corn flour. But if you trust the recipe, it produces these beautiful meringues. And today's message is a bit like that. Um, today's passage is a bit like that, sorry, I should say. Today we're looking at Acts 2, 42 to 47. And the final verse in our verses today, verse 47, says this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a pretty incredible verse, right? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that final sentence is expressing the idea that this is the result of all that we've just read, which is a in pretty incredible result. And I think, like with the vegan pavlovas, you may be surprised by what the ingredients are that produce this. You see, if I asked you what things are needed in our church, if we were going to be able to describe our church like that, and the Lord added daily to their number, those who are being saved. What are some of the things that you might think we might need to do? What are some of the things that might characterize us? You know, before we go to the passage, 
to see what those things are, I want to recap on what we've read so far in Acts as we've been going through this series. We started Jesus appearing to his disciples raised from the dead. He appeared to them multiple times over 40 days. And then before he ascended to heaven, he told them, stay in Jerusalem, wait to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. They waited and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came as a violent wind and as tongues of fire and they spoke in many different languages. And then Peter, after that had happened, after he was filled with the Spirit, preached the most incredible sermon of his life. He declared to everyone who Jesus is and just what they had done to him. He boldly told them that Jesus was in fact the Messiah that God himself and that God had raised him from the dead and that all they needed to do was repent and to be baptised. And it said that 3,000 people were baptised in response to this message. So it's been action-packed since the Holy Spirit showed up. That's been a huge theme in our series and it's the reason why we called our series Empowered. You know, because all the amazing things that we're reading about are a direct result of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And you see, the Holy Spirit doesn't just show up in God's people um, for a fun experience or for a great story to tell. The Holy Spirit always shows up in God's people for a purpose. And in these verses that we're going to look at today, we get to see what it actually looks like for the community of believers, the church, to follow Jesus corporately. They were taking their first steps, empowered by the Holy Spirit in living out all that Jesus had taught them. And the result of this way of living was that the Lord was saving people and adding them to their group every single day. So let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And we're going to discover what these unlikely ingredients are to such a group, fruitful group of Christians. And as we read it, I'm going to highlight some of the things as we go. So here we go. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Firstly, um, the very first part of that first verse said they. And when a verse starts with they, we've got to figure out who is the they that this is talking about. And so if we go back to the end of last week's passage, you might remember we, and like I've already referred to, we heard Peter preaching to the huge crowd and the very last verse that we looked at said those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They, that's who we're talking about here. The 3,000 brand new baby believers who had gathered with the 120 believers who were already there, they were the people being talked about in these verses. And they were a pretty extraordinary group of people by the sounds of it, right? First of all, 
this was Pentecost, and Pentecost was one of the three um, festivals through the year that Jews would um, go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem for. So this 3,000 people would likely have been a wide variety of people from all over the place, not necessarily living in Jerusalem, a very um, varied lot who would unlikely be gathered together unless it was for Jesus, right? And I often think, how much is that like the church? What an unlikely group we are. But one of the things that stands out, whoever they are and wherever they're from, is their extreme devotion. And so as we consider what it is they're devoted to, we can divide everything that we read here into two main categories. These brand new baby believers were wholeheartedly and extravagantly devoted to God and devoted to one another. And I've listed everything we read there in those verses under those two headings devoted to God and devoted to one another. You know, when Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was, you might know what he said. He said, love God and love people. And so it's not a surprise, is it, that as we see how these new believers were living, their devotion was in these two categories, devotion to God and devotion to people. So let's see what this looks like lived out in this new community of believers. Let's see how, firstly, how their devotion to God played out. So the first thing we read in the passage is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, the apostles were just repeating all that Jesus had taught them. These new believers were devoted to learning how Jesus was calling them to live right now, that they were his followers. They listened whenever they could and wherever they could. And so for us, we have that recorded in the Bible. Our devotion can look exactly the same as it did for these early believers, just through a different medium. We can be hungry to understand more of how Jesus wants us to live. We can be hungry for what he desires for our lives. We can be reading it for ourselves, hearing it taught and unpacked by gifted teachers and chewing it over with one another in order to apply it to our lives. So that's the first one, devoted to the Bible or the apostles' teaching. The second one we read is they devoted themselves to um, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. Now, breaking of bread, when you read it in the Bible, it can literally mean um, the same as eating together. Breaking bread and eating were synonymous. But it also meant what we know as communion. Um, it's been so fascinating for me as I've studied this passage to realise that the main food that would have been eaten by the people of this time would have been bread and fish. That was their main meals. Like, no fussy food intolerances like we have now, hey? And the main drink that they would have drunk, because often water wasn't very clean, was wine. And so when Jesus took the bread and the wine at the Last Supper, the disciples didn't wonder, why has he brought bread and wine to dinner? No, bread and wine were a standard part of their meals. But rather, Jesus was setting up a way for them to remember him often. And I don't imagine that the disciples could ever break bread again without remembering who Jesus was. I don't imagine it was possible for them to drink wine without thinking of the blood that Jesus had shed on the cross because of what he shared with them at the Last Supper. 
And so undoubtedly, as they shared bread and wine together, I can imagine they would have talked about him. They would have shared stories about him. They would have encouraged one another on this mission that he'd called them to carry out. And so I wonder for us if we could allow communion to be all that it can be, reminding us of the beauty of Jesus, um, encouraging us to tell stories of him and share about what he's doing in our lives and what he's saying to us. But I wonder if we could also not limit communion to these small moments that we have on Sundays as we gather in our services. But maybe we could let Jesus infiltrate our dining tables. Maybe we could let remembering Jesus invade other areas of our lives as we eat together. Would we remember who he is and what he's done? The next thing that it says they were devoted to was prayer. And they were following in Jesus' footsteps, right? Everyone wanted to see him. When Jesus was in his ministry, everyone wanted to see him all of the time. They were bringing people to be healed. They were bringing people to be um, set free from demons. But he was never too busy to pray. Not just as you go prayers or a prayer under his breath just before he did something. He was devoted to prayer. Luke 6 verse 12 said, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night praying to God. And that wasn't a one-off occasion. This was characteristic of Jesus. And so these new believers were following in his footsteps. That's what they were putting into practice. So what about for us? I don't know about for you, but I know one of my biggest excuses for not praying as much as I know I need to is that I'm too busy. I have too much on. There's too much going on in my life to make time to pray that much. But I'm convicted as I share this, if Jesus could find time to pray that much, and if the early believers prioritised time to pray that much, then surely we can prioritise time to pray, right? You know, I can't afford not to pray. If we really want to see God do through us what he's calling us to do, we can't afford not to pray. Consistently, earnestly, and for all kinds of things. And so I love that we're about to go into 24-7 prayer for 30 days. I want to encourage you to be a part of this. Allow it to establish a habit of prayer in your life. Don't just sign up for one slot, sign up for multiple slots. Let's establish rhythms of prayer, not just on our own, quietly in our rooms, but corporately together, just as these early believers did. The final thing that they, uh, the final way they devoted themselves to God was um, through worship. It says here, as they broke bread in their homes, they were praising God. You know, as they spent time together, they worshipped together. Praise of God came regularly and easily off of their lips. It wasn't difficult for them to share with one another the amazing things that God had done. And so for us, I wonder how much more could we turn our minds to who he is and what he has done and to celebrate with one another, not just when a worship leader is leading us from the front on a Sunday, but whenever we're spending time with other followers of Jesus, would praise of him characterize us? So the second category of devotion that we're talking about in this passage is um, devotion to one another. It says in the verses, it uses the word fellowship. It says that they were together and had everything in common. 
It says every day they met in the temple courts and they met in their homes too. They were together so much. They spent so much time with one another. You see, in, in the early church, this concept of being part of a church but observing from the outside was an alien concept. A crucial part of the early church was spending time together, being with one another. Not like now where once you're on the email list of a church, you can kid yourself, that's my church, that's where I belong. But I think these early believers show us that unless we're spending time with one another, we're missing out on what it really means to be the church. The church wasn't an organisation and it isn't now. It was a family, a body, an organism. And so what could being together with other believers look like for you? Maybe it's coming to a service more often on Sundays. Maybe it's coming to a service at all. Maybe you're watching this on your own at home today and the first step for you is to, is to gather with other believers. But maybe you need to make it more of a habit. Maybe it's joining a life group and regularly attending and building relationships with other believers. Maybe it could be making an effort to invite other believers into your home for fun and for food and community, not waiting for a special occasion, but just wanting to spend time together. The second thing that kind of comes out of this being together was that they ate together. You know, like I said before, breaking bread literally meant to eat with one another. It was synonymous. And so I love that they ate together so much that it featured in this passage that described them. It was like a characteristic of their lives. And so I wonder how often you eat with other believers. How often do you have a great meal and um, just enjoy the company of other believers with all these other things that went on celebrating who God is and was? The third thing that we see is that they provided for one another. I'm going to go back to that slide. It says they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Their togetherness was so wholehearted that they beautifully supported one another. And what strikes me is that they didn't just support one another with um, the surplus that they had, but they sold their possessions to give to those that had need. They went without for the sake of others. That was the extent of their devotion to one another. So I wonder what does that look like in your life? How could you grow in devotion to others in this way? And these are the ingredients in the unlikely recipe where we get to the final result that says, and the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. Like it was the most logical result of the way that they were living. Devotion to God and devotion to one another led these early believers to be fruitful in the mission that Jesus had just called them to, to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I think it's easy for us to think maybe this was just cultural. Maybe this was the way they did things. But I don't think that's the case because this was obviously extraordinary. <laughs> The way it's described here, the way they made an impact on the people around them, it wasn't because they fitted in, because they were doing things the same as everyone else. They stood out because they were living differently. They were living in, a, in an extraordinary way. You know, this kind of devotion is only possible when it is empowered by the Holy Spirit, where I am surrendered to his work and allowing it to invade every part of my life and invade every behavior 
You know, what would these verses say, I wonder, if they were describing our church, the street? More specifically, have a think about the part of the street that you belong to, the gathering that you're at today. You know, this word devoted means to continue steadfastly in a thing, to be constantly diligent, to be steadfastly attentive. You know, if you're watching in the hut today, if these verses were written about your gathering, I wonder what they'd say about you. What are you devoted to? At West, how would you be described? In Potterua, what are the things that stand out about the things that you are devoted to? Wherever you are, if you're on your own today, as individuals and as gatherings of believers, how would you be described? My feeling is that at the street, wherever you are, that there are glimpses of the activities that are described here. But I wonder if it would be described as devotion, to be steadfastly attentive to. You know, what are we devoted to, both as individuals and corporately? For all of us, how do the things we're devoted to compare to the description of these early believers? And I'd encourage you to get before the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you in your heart maybe where your devotion needs to be realigned. And that's how we change, isn't it? We come before God, we repent of where we've got it wrong and we receive his grace and his mercy and we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. The title of today's message is Empowered Devotion. To live like these early Christians were living did not come from their natural human desires. Devotion in this passage is wholehearted and powerful. Their devotion to God and to one another was supernatural. And it's the result of the Spirit being powerfully at work in their lives. So I wonder if you'd allow me to pray for you now, wherever you are. I want to pray that God would do this in our hearts, that we would be people wholeheartedly and extraordinarily and supernaturally devoted to God and to one another, and that by his grace, we would see him add um, people to our church every day, people who are being saved. Let's pray. Our Father, we're so grateful for your grace and for your mercy. We're so grateful that we get it wrong so much. And yet we can come to you every time and say, sorry. And we want to be transformed. We want to be more the people that you're calling us to be. Lord, I pray that you would reveal in our hearts today where our devotion is misaligned, where we're devoted to the wrong things, the things that are not fruitful, the things that are not um, contributing to your kingdom. I pray today that you'd capture our hearts again, that we would be wholeheartedly devoted to you and wholeheartedly devoted to one another, that we, you would transform us to be the church that you're calling us to be. Lord, we love you. We live for you. We worship you. We devote ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.